0: Welcome to the 125th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with S.J. Roseanne and Carlos Duze, who co-authored the new supernatural thriller, Blood of the Lamb, which is published under the pseudonym Sam Cabot. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guests today are Carlos Dues and S.J. Roseanne, co-authors of the new thriller novel Blood of the Lamb, published under the Sam Cabot pen name. We're recording this interview at Thriller Fest in New York City. S.J. and Carlos, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Sure, sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel Blood of the Lamb yet, how would you describe it?
1: How would we describe it? Um, (laughs) partner why don't you no no Um, it it is a thriller set in Rome a paranormal thriller set in Rome where groups of people go running around Rome looking for a document that can bring down the Catholic Church and some of them want to find the document so the church will fall some of them want to find the document and bury it again so the church won't fall and some of them aren't people
0: okay and if I understand correctly, the the idea for the original idea for the novel originated
2: with with you, Carlos. Is that correct? It, it, that's true. I uh, have been living in Rome now for almost six years, and it's hard to live there and live in the neighborhood that I did, which is Trastevere, which is also the neighborhood in which most of the uh, action in the novel takes place. It's hard to live there without sort of seeing the architectural and artistic. Uh, expressions of faith, the, the Catholic Church in particular. But the most interesting thing about seeing those around you all the time is that you see the stories that are behind them, and sometimes they're very intriguing, interesting stories. And so I came upon this idea of some alternative explanation for some of the things uh, that you see around you uh, there in Rome, and then the story of uh, uh, Blood of the Lamb blew out of that. And so did
0: you, at any point, try to write it yourself, or did you go into it knowing that you wanted a, a co-author, someone to, to work with?
2: Well, as soon as I started trying to write it, I realized I needed a co-author, because <laughs> who am I? I've never written a thriller. I've, I've written sort of literary short fiction before, but and uh, I'm working on a literary novel of my own, but I've never written any, uh, any genre work at all, and I have great respect for people who can do that well, so I knew... Uh, fairly early on that I was going to uh, you know, enlist uh, a co-author to do that.
0: And, and so how did that collaboration come
2: about? You tell
1: us. <laughs> <laughs> we had met through friends uh, when we were teaching in Italy, both of us. And uh, then six months later, Carlos came to New York around Christmas and there was a cocktail party. And we were both there. And at one point, somebody asked Carlos what he was working on next, because he just finished his novel and he started saying well I have this thriller it's a great idea great idea for a thriller it's, so, it's really kind of wonderful but I can't write a th- thriller I don't know how and I, I really need a co-author so if anybody knows somebody and a mutual friend turned to me and said SJ this is right up your alley why don't you work with Carlos and I said to myself SJ why didn't you leave this party 10 minutes ago what are you going to do now you know, you can't just blow the guy off, but God, a co-writer? What, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. And I backed into it every step of the way from then on until, you know, we were at the point where I was actually sending Carlos chapters, knowing he would hate them because these are characters he had in his head and I was writing them and I made them up. You know, they're probably different. And, and, and at the point where he sent me the email that said, I love it more later, um, I thought, oh, this might actually work. But I was so sure I never wanted to collaborate. I never wanted, you know, a co-written paranormal thriller. This is three things that I never <laughs> thought I would do. So um, it worked out really well. And despite S.J.'s reservations about taking
2: all these characters that have been living in my head for a couple of years by that point, uh, somehow she figured out how to channel uh, and bring these characters uh, to life very much in the way I had originally uh, imagined them. They're not strangers to me at all. They're the, the people I had originally thought of.
0: Great, great. And and so, what was the what was the collaboration process like? From kind of a, a nuts and bolts. I mean, were you editing those chapters as they as they came well, to you, or, or we
2: spent a great deal of time, and this was that insistence from the very beginning, doing a lot of world building because we needed to know the world in which these uh, paranormal characters. Uh, uh, lived, even if all that material wasn't going to end up in the in the book, we needed to know this path. Uh, so we spent a great deal of time, sort of building out the world that uh, these people would live in. Then we did a great deal of outlining, sort of looking at uh, section by section, chapter by chapter, what you know uh, needed to, to happen. As Jay took it from there and would draft the chapters, send them to me. I would uh, make comments and revisions and send them back. And we didn't have to do many exchanges before a chapter felt you know sort of mutually agreed upon
1: Uh, and what happened from my end was when i started with the chapters characters would come in who either we hadn't been expecting or we had but not like that or in, in the case of spencer for example we had and he came in and he played his role and he never left he just kept coming back and he turned out to be critically important but this happens to me all the time when i'm writing so i wasn't surprised but And then there were a couple of places where we needed to bring people in to satisfy an arc of, of some kind. So there were surprises along the way. But the bones of that book, because it depended on the seven churches and the things found in them, were laid out in the beginning. So the, the interweaving of the characters was not it never never occasioned that oh my god, what are we going to do now? Right.
2: And I got to spend a great deal of time doing background research. We learned a great deal about the Catholic
1: Church. We learned a great (laughs) deal about particular artists. Oh, I would send questions to Carlos. If two cardinals meet in the hall of the Vatican, what do they call each other? and he would have to find that luckily, out luckily living in Rome it's not
2: a funny answer to the <laughs> question although you know it's
1: not obvious yeah. and, and, I, uh... and so what do they
0: what do they well, call the, each the other the truth
1: is they call <laughs> from, from our Vatican source they call each other father straightforward unless they're if they call each other eminenza they're being bitchy okay that the way here too formal
2: yeah. Yeah. right but if so, they've known each other a great deal of time they'll call each other by their first mm. names hmm. yeah. interesting, interesting. And Jonathan or whatever they are that's great.
0: Well, you mentioned Paranormal Thriller is something that you never thought that you would write and and it's obviously different than um, your long-running mystery series which features a Chinese-American private investigator Lydia Chin and her partner Bill Smith. So I wonder what, what was the process for you as, as a writer kind of Going from you know uh, uh, a mystery to kind of this larger canvas of, of you know thriller. Yeah,
1: that was interesting. I had wanted to write a thriller anyway. I have a couple of thrillers in mind that I had wanted to do, and I had never done one. When I wrote, um, oh, what's the name of that book? <laughs> in the in the series, the, the the on the line. When I wrote on the line, it's a Bill Smith book, and so it's um, narrated in the first person but otherwise I wrote it as a thriller I wrote it as kind of non-stop action clues to be uncovered and then run to the next place just to kind of practice those thriller chops so I had that behind me this was great because I could have as many point of view characters as I wanted and the book has four or five major ones four or five minor ones and two or three who just come in for a chapter and go away and that was tremendous because you could change you could, you could narrate the action often by someone who wasn't the main character in the action, you know, the, the Holmes and Watson thing, and I, that was, that was a, lot, a lot of fun. I read a bunch of thrillers to kind of follow this process. I think we may have more point of view characters than most people do. Certainly Clive Cussler doesn't do this, but um, right. you know, he has, sticks to two or three, but I loved it. I loved it, and I had done that before. That's the other thing. I had done that not in a thriller form, but in uh, my two standalones, and Absent Friends, and in, in This Rain. I had right. done multiple points of view. So I put the two, the ticking clock, and the and those characters together, and I enjoyed it enormously. And, and I had it, a backstop. You're afraid to Think this is terrible. Um,
0: and and do you think that 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 process of of Blood of the Lamb? Do you think that that will. Maybe impact or, or or inform your next mystery,
1: yeah, I think so, I think so. everything you learn I did with with absent friends in, in this reign, everything you learn, even when you go back to something you were doing before, it really helps. I think uh, it Shanghai uh, Moon, which was in some ways a multi point of view book, even though it was Lydia, was informed by those those two standalones, so I think yeah this this will this will really help, right. Right.
0: Well, Carlos, I know that you. um, I noticed that you had co-edited a collection of essays out
2: in the South. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wondered if you minded talking about that. No, not at all. I. uh, This was a project I did with uh, a grad school colleague, Carolyn Law. She and I have done two books together: one on working-class academics, and the other on. out in the South, which deals with the complexities because the South is a very complex place, the complexities of coming out as gay men or lesbians in Southern Southern culture, uh, something she and I uh, she and I had both struggled with. She grew up in Missouri, I grew up in East Texas, so we wanted to put together a collection as diverse as possible to represent all the voices of people in very different situations, from sort of genteel Southern uh, upper class society to uh, uh, sort of share-propping African-American uh, experience. We covered a wide range. It was Temple University Press uh, published. It was a very, very gratifying project. And, and what's the response been to that? It was very much? positive. It seems like it was you know, 50 years ago. Uh, now <laughs> when, we, when we did that, it seems like uh, it's a different life even. Uh, but it was very positive. There was a, a conference at Emory University about the time the book came out. They covered the same territory. It was a very, uh, very positive response, and I still periodically will get a letter or an email from someone who's read the book and it's helped them uh, tremendously.
0: Right, and and do you think that with some of the 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 kind of uh, changing kind of cultural perceptions in the U.S. Mm-hmm. that that do you think that that's changing in the South or slowly, maybe 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 like a new generation? But yeah. you know, it's kind of slowly incrementally, <laughs> and I think
2: you're right that it's it's. Uh, it's a generational shift that, that is happening. Uh, the South is a very different place today than it was when I was growing up, both sure. in terms of sexuality and race in particular. Uh, but it's still, to me, it continues to be, and I wrote about this in my uh, section of the book, uh, Out in the South, it continues to be a very frightening place and a place that I would prefer not to live, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is getting better every day. Sure, sure. Yeah.
0: Well, well, now that you've collaborated on Blood of the Lamb, are there plans for, for more novels? Oh, we're are
1: halfway through. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, there are plans for about a thousand. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I I, it, I think we have, you know, half a dozen. In it, but, but we have a... It's a two-book contract. Okay. So yeah, we yeah. are halfway through Skin of the Wolf, after which we will probably drop the uh, body, part of, body part of the animal right, you know, right. set up. But it was too good. Um, and Skin of the Wolf has... Three of the same characters with a cameo from a fourth, and it's set here in New York. They all end up in New York in one of those marvelous literary coincidences. And it is it takes on another set of paranormal characters who are um, indigenous here. Our thought is there are paranormal phenomena all over the world which are specific to... Specific Geographic. cultures, yes. yeah. yeah, and so Culture. we're gonna send our characters all over back to Italy eventually, but because the first one is set in Rome, but um, right, but around the world dealing with these different paranormal f- phenomena, they against their better judgment, they sort of become mm-hmm. ghostbusters, yeah, or at least ghosts meters.
2: Right. Meters and greeters. And at least in these first two, and I think we would want to continue this, there is a sort of you know broader theme that's engaged in uh, in each of the books. And the first it very much deals with the issue of faith. And this second book,
1: if it turns out the way we're planning, is going to deal with identity and community. Um, and, and then the, the, it, it sort of comes out of which the culture and phenomenon that we're dealing with. You can't write about the Catholic Church without writing about faith, because right so complicated so that's the the other through line in the series is the Catholic Church because one of our characters is a uh, a young Jesuit priest but the Catholic Church has its feelers everywhere so anywhere we go whatever paranormal phenomenon is going on has had an an encounter with the church one way or another so that is not a a difficult situation
2: great and our other main character uh uh, Livia Pietro is an art historian and of course every queer we're going to be dealing with uh, we'll be dealing with uh, you know, art historical uh, intrigue so, as
1: well. so until the day when they just answer the phone ghostbusters yeah. either um, <laughs> Father Kelly goes somewhere and then Livia can come or Livia goes somewhere right. and Thomas can Father come Kelly so it, it, uh, it will work out well if you know, as long as we go on with this got it so, so given,
0: your, given your, uh, um, your books that you've written um, yourself and now this collaboration, w- what advice would you have for aspiring writers who would like to have their own novels or stories published?
1: Mm, if you can think of something else to do, do that. <laughs> um, it's, you, you have to love it for itself because it might be its only reward. You have to write for other people to read. Because otherwise, you're just navel-gazing. But you have to understand that writing to get rich and famous is a fool's game. That would be my, my first advice. After that, I would say, once you have something written, sell it and sell it and sell it. You know, Until you find an agent, when you find a publisher. Um, there are ways to publish it yourself. I wouldn't advise that yet, but it's coming. You know, Don't give up, because it's a very hard world. But somebody gets published and new writers get published all the time so don't get discouraged and don't say well i've been rejected by three agents obviously this is not gonna sell so the hell with it so that would that would be my, my kind of twin advices and if you have a great idea find an author Absolutely.
2: I'd also say from a, from an academic uh, background where there's a fair amount of snobbery toward uh, genre fiction in sure. particular, where literary fiction is sort of held up and, yeah, and everything that's... else is looked down upon, that that I would uh, encourage and champion anyone to sort of embrace the inner genre writer uh, yes. uh, they, they might have. Because I see no shame or anything uh, less literary. Because I, I think there are aspects of, uh, of Blood of the Lamb uh, that... You know, hold their own against any fine literary uh, literary fiction, and I don't see why yeah. there should be these clear divisions and why there yeah. should be a hierarchy uh, uh, among them. So, um,
1: and this I from agree. an academic, we love this. <laughs> yes. Well, that's my other piece of advice: is if you are going to co-write, get chosen by
0: a good partner. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, you said you said earlier that you read a lot of thrillers in preparation. What what have you been reading, both of you, that, that you would recommend, either authors or specific
1: novels? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but, you know, people always ask me this, and I always go blank. There is a terrific book set in Rome called The Last Ember by Daniel Levin. It was his first, and I don't know if he has a second out yet, but it's got a fabulous concept, and... It's a page-turner, and it takes you through Rome, and I, I just I just really loved it. So that is, uh, I would I would recommend that as far as thrillers go. I thought that was terrific. I I loved Clive Cussler's Mongolia book, which I also can't remember the name of. It had it had it was brilliant in two ways. On Clive Cussler, he managed to get Dirk Pitt scuba diving in Mongolia where there's no water at all. Um, and the other was the, the plot device, which was actually kind of brilliant. Um, I've been late. I read for research a lot, and so mm-hmm. I've lately... Well, nonfiction is fine, too. So. Yeah, I read a, a, um, a pair of really terrific books. This will give away the subject matter of Skin of the Wolf, but do we care? No. Um, one uh, by a guy named Kent Nurburn, a book called Neither Wolf Nor Dog. And the other by a guy named Tom Porter called, and Grandma said, and they're both uh, American Indian nonfiction American Indian themed books. Oh, so the and, Pete Hamill book. Oh. oh, the Pete Hamill book. Oh my God, <laughs> you're right. Um, forever. Which one? Pete Hamill's yes. Forever, yeah. which just knocked me out. And that forever. is a great book because it barely has a plot. He, it has it has sort of a plot that he brings in every time he needs it. It has a through line. What it really does is that book enables Pete Hamill to tell every great New York story New York. <laughs> over the span of New York history for 250 years, and he does it brilliantly. That is a fabulous book. Thank you. Yes, that was was prime. Great, right. So so
0: um, are you working on another uh, mystery in addition to... I would like to. I, I
1: have a um, hopeless goal of getting this book finished by October, I'll go to China in October, and getting a idea at least for a Lydia book when I get back. But I don't have a contract with my Lydia and Bill publisher right now, so it's not like anybody's breathing down my neck. Right. And this is sort of the priority: is to get Sam Cabot established as a uh, as a thriller name. Sure. So I, you know, have some ideas. There's also these other two thrillers I wanted to write, but it's all. Um, I'm thinking, but Sam is the, is the
2: main, he's, he's my main man right gotcha, now.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So um, is there a Sam Cabot website, or where can people find more info online if they're interested?
2: Facebook page yeah. is quite active. Uh, yeah. It's probably the best way. Right. He also tweets, Sam. Okay. Uh, uh, Sam apparently <laughs> tweets, yes. <laughs> tweets as well.
1: I, um, and my I have a blog mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time talking about Sam but also about birds and squirrels if you like that kind of thing which is um, at, if you go to sjrosanne.com you find the blog it's right there and um, Sam the, the, the Sam Cabot does have a Facebook page but as of yet there's not much on it you mean a web page I, I mean a web page the yes, Facebook yes. page is fabulous Yeah, lots right. of great things but okay people not on Facebook uh, if they go to samcabot.com they'll find a website but we have yet to to really load it up and on Facebook he's Sam Cabot Ryder is his name Sam Cabot Ryder because there are perfectly innocent Other, yeah. Sam Cabot's on Facebook
0: who <laughs> don't want to know us, and they probably hate us. Good. And, and I'll have a link to all of that in the show notes as well, so people can check that out. Thank uh, you. Well, again, we've been speaking with S.J. Roseanne and Carlos Dews, co-authors of Blood of the Lamb, a thriller novel which is published under the Sam Cabot pen name. Blood of the Lamb is available in bookstores now, so go out and grab a copy. S.J., Carlos, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thanks so much for having us. Thank
0: you very much. Great.